Hello, and welcome to Kickout 299. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. I'm joined by Happy Wrestling Land today, and we are going to talk to you about post-roster split All Japan, um, specifically some matches that don't always get spoken about. And we're really excited to do that. And I'm going to let my co-host for the day um, introduce themselves. So go ahead, guys. Hi, guys. This is uh, Captain Lou from HappyWrestlingLand.com. Happy to be back on Kickout to talk All Japan. Hey, and I am Dum Dum Daniels, a wrestling quality assurance specialist at Happy Wrestling Land. And I am very excited to be back, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys uh, for being here. And if you've been listening for a moment, you're used to hearing Lou um, and myself talk about much more actively airing All Japan. Uh, But as I alluded to, we're going to talk about some post-roster split All Japan. And I feel like the roster split in and of itself is something that we've probably spoken about in one way or another on almost every single episode of Kickout since we started this podcast. So I don't want to spend, I think, a ton of time going back through the details. I think there's a myriad of episodes you could check out where we go into um, the roster split in depth and who the players were and what exactly happened, um, et cetera. There's also two books that you can check out from Dr. Jonathan Foy um, that cover the subject really well. You can order Ganbaru and the Muto years off um, Amazon on and support his work. He covers uh, the roster split beautifully um, in his texts. But we really wanted to uh, talk about three matches. We chose uh, one each and um, talk about this period. And just to start off, I wanted to ask you guys, um, as I've alluded to in other episodes of Kickout, I wasn't watching wrestling during this time period where the roster split was taking place. But I think both of you probably were or pretty close to it. So you guys probably have um a memory of maybe this happening and hearing about it so i would just love um off the bat to kind of get your feedback and feelings of what that was like to experience something as dramatic as misawa uh leading this exodus out of all japan and kind of walking into the unknown and starting his own promotion but then what were your thoughts about all japan being left with only like two um japanese wrestlers in kawada and masanobu fuchi as you know part of their roster like what were your thoughts and feelings on that yeah well at the time i remember it felt kind of grim when the <laughs> when the full <laughs> picture of like the roster split a split came together and like the realization that we're only down to two guys and basically the gaikokujin wrestlers uh, it looked rough for a bit, but um, it also turned into kind of like a, a, a weird adventure in some ways where like the the weirdness of the roster and the outsiders that came in, like uh, when Tenru came in, he brought in his former like war mid-card guys. And at the time, I, I had no clue who these guys were, but they all became like favorites of mine, like mid-card favorites. I think Jason has a soft spot for all of these guys as well. Uh, you know, they were bringing in battle arts guys. Um, there was always something interesting going on, even though um, it also felt slightly on shaky grounds <laughs> at all times. So, um, yeah, shaky grounds, but fun shaky grounds. Yeah, yeah, right. Like attendances were bad. They had two people, but like you said, an adventure. It was like a, like a, like a rebuilding like basketball team. They just brought in just whoever. That's just quirky indie guys. 
um, realigned with Tenru. So it was just, it was the classic, like, not great, but interesting. Um, I wish I could say I was, a re- like, deeply following all this when the split happened, but I wasn't. It was more like a kind of one of those vague, like, you know, internet stories that I'm kind of like, oh, something happened in Japan. But on the contrary, like, kind of when my entry point of like Japanese wrestling was kind of like late 2001, early 2002, when like just when this All Japan was arguably kind of like making some moves. So, like, and kind of one of the matches we're going to get to, like, that was one of the first shows that I saw, the February 2002 pay-per-view they had, um, where Muto beats Kawada, I believe, for the Triple Crown, or the other way around, Kawada beats Muto for the Triple Crown, and they have a whole bunch of other, um, just, I'll get into it when we get there, great matches, but that was just, like, that, it was just, like, this great, like, entry point of interest, where then you're, like, okay, wait, what happened to Noah? And like Noah, I was loving. So I was like, okay, wait, all these guys were in all Japan. You start connecting all these dots. And then all of a sudden, like all Japan becomes a entry point for like the entirety of like the rest of Japanese wrestling, which was, I mean, in retrospect, you know, we can look at it rose, rose colored glasses. You know, there were, there was tons of garbage on these shows, just bad, <laughs> bad wrestling. Um, we neglect to mention, we, Kawada was left, Fuchi was left, and Tayo Tayoki was left. <laughs> is always just like <laughs> he was there. Um, it was just yeah, like super interesting, which is like you know one of the best things wrestling can be. So yeah, that was th- those are my kind of random memories of of that time. And it's probably you know. <sighs> It's one of those things where you, you're hearing about the roster split happening, but it's not like you can log into AJPW.TV and just start catching up on things, right? Like, I'm sure that was probably um, another sort of barrier to cross, right? Like, how just, just remind me of that time period. Like, how were you actually watching wrestling at that time? VHS. All, all VHS. Yeah, highspots.com or trading on Crazy Max. And that's the thing. Like, this, like... I'm kind of fast forwarding, but like early 2002, like the scenario was like just flashing back to my, to my brain, like, oh, whoa. I mean, Muto was the triple crown champion. Then it was, oh, wow. Muto just made a power play. He jumped with Kojima. He's bringing on Kaz Hayashi to all Japan. And I'm like, all right, something's happening, but I'm not like seeing it. I don't have like the giant series. I'm not watching the battle Royal, but I got this cherished pay-per-view tape from highspots.com 22402 I think I think it said Tenru versus Kojima that's why I associated it with more with that match with this which was the semi-main yeah. over Kawada Muto which is the actual um main event of the show and that um I don't know that was just like yeah and, and then you would just buy the next tape I bought was the April pay-per-view <laughs> and then you would just kind of go like yeah, twenty dollars on high spots to to get these. Then you find other routes, crazy max trading. Um, there would be there was a ra- random Japanese market that for a while carried like Noah TV that I thought I found like a gold mine, like just random, just like stuff like that. Now it's easy and awesome. But yeah, I literally I just remember getting like a pay per view from high spots every like couple months and being like, here's the next big you know all Japan show. You try to get the TV too. I got a little obsessive, needed to see my Araya matches, but um, 
Yeah. High spots. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> That's so fascinating. So this period, I think we can probably all largely agree, is in some ways it's a forgotten period of wrestling, but then in other ways, I feel like people are very quick to dismiss this period because like Jason was alluding to, there's a lot of, uh, you know, not great wrestling that occurred. Right. But um, how much of that in hindsight, do you, would you say that it's people sort of trying to uh, cling to, I guess, maybe other generations or iterations of all Japan prior like do you think how how much of that plays a role into people's perception of this muto period and post roster period of all japan yeah that definitely plays into it for sure if you if you compare that period to like the classic 90s era like it's straight up not as good (laughs) there's no way it's just garbage but i will say i will say if you want to i think a good way to watch a lot of that era is actually to cherry pick matches like if you just do like the best stuff it's gonna look pretty great if you watch a lot of full shows like we used to do then it's it's so so um but there's if you want to do the cherry picking route there's some pretty great matches to be watched who would you recommend uh, those listening? Who should they be cherry picking from this era if they want the best perception of that post roster split era? I well, I mean, it's a boring answer, but Kawada always had some some pretty great matches in that era, especially like before Muto signed. Like th- that that bit was especially like uh, there was a lot of uncertainty there. And the the Kawada matches from that short time period are pretty. That, that's why I picked the Fushi match. Uh, they are really interesting. He's he's he seems even more like pissed off than usual uh, about the whole situation, probably. And it comes true in his wrestling, and it's uh, it's an interesting watch. Um, Araya Okamura. Nagai. These guys. Yeah, <laughs> I literally just listed out like five bit. Like that's the thing. These guys weren't always like. So okay, so like Mitsuya Nagai came over for for a little bit. Um, Nobutaka Araya, who was one of the um, guys that came over with Tenru from War, also Arashi had had, had his charms. Shout um, out to Arashi for sure. Uh, Tomaki Hanma, Hanma was around for a little bit. These guys, like they they, I'll say like they weren't always in like great matches, but like they were in. They added like good like just fire to like the mid card, but also. I would say sometimes you did actually get them in like spotlight matches. Like Nagai is third from top on this February pay-per-view taken on Taioki. And like, it's not like the most like exciting match, but also it's like, here's what would happen if someone gave it all to Nagai. And it's actually pretty cool to like watch that happen. So like just seeing like those guys, um, the, the Steve Williams and Mike Rotundo were just cashing paychecks. I would like recommend their matches, <laughs> but like, also, like you had some young Kai and Tai Dojo guys, like it was just like a hodgepodge of interesting stuff. But like quality, honestly, Araya is way better than anyone would think. Um, and then Kojima, Kawada, Tenru, they still had a core of like some of the best ever. Then Hashimoto comes in, Muto still, you know, sometimes <laughs> trying <laughs> um but it, yeah it was like a good roster but like just bare bones and like that was the thing it was hard to get excited because like 
it did seem grim all the time. Like it was just, mm-hmm. yeah, these five match cards. Well, I think it's important to just recontextualize for people listening that I think the grimness um, is in part because the wrestling industry was in free fall during all of this as well. So (laughs) yeah, money was tough. Um, They were like cutting dates off of things like um, the like champion carnival um, because they didn't have enough money to run um, these dates. I remember that from our conversation with Jonathan um, when he was promoting the Muto years. So they were having to make really tough decisions that were going against what people considered the core, I think, of All Japan Pro Wrestling, which then um, I think gave way to a lot of complaints about Muto bringing in um, this sort of New Japan feel to a lot of the decisions he was making. Um, and I think maybe some complaints of uh, a little bit of uh, WWE sort of showmanship that people also don't like about the way that he tends to present his idea of uh, Perez love, his his form of uh, his idea of wrestling. Um, so yeah, I think that probably added to uh, the grimness was that Muto was sort of the antithesis, yes. antithesis to what people believed All Japan was. There was a yeah, six man that I'm remembering um, with him, George Hines and Kaz Hayashi, where they all dressed up with the bald Muto cap. People got so mad over it. Like, <laughs> and, and like I like I probably did too. I was like, what the f- is this? Like in retrospective, you know, silly, just whatever thing. But like, right, that was the kind of stuff. Like, what is this dude doing? And then of course, like, I mean, this is a couple years after well, eh, within a year after after he takes over, like Great Muta wins the triple crown so like yeah if you're like an all japan like traditionalist you're just like what the what's going on like that all yeah definitely tracks um yeah it was a lot of just kind of you'd have like kawada having his like cool matches he you know maybe like he's having some like taking on new disciples and then yeah you'd have muto just kind of like you know goofing around (laughs) i I just did the pro rest love for the the yeah the audio audience but like just yeah, kind of fooling around until it was time for like a big match. So yeah, just a hodgepodge of just yeah. Just sounds like what he's in. doing now. That <laughs> sounds like what he's doing well, now. You know, yes, like it does that right. <laughs> just to play a bit of a devil's advocate, though, um, in those years, uh, New Japan were starting to make some pretty dumb moves on their side as well. So sometimes, like uh, ironically. Uh, just watching these All Japan shows, even if Muto was doing something dumb or like if the roster wasn't amazing, just the straightforward wrestling aspect of his felt refreshing from like, I don't know, watching Manabu Nakanishi in a shoot fight or something. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, God, like, yeah, so everything was happening with those guys. Of other worse stuff going on. This also, mm-hmm. I'm sorry that just to go back to the the kooky things that Muto was doing too like when all this started then you have Satoshi Kojima having like his fashion shows with the the ape man like which was like I don't know it was kind of interesting but also just like what the what's going on it's like it yeah it was just yeah that was a weird one too they had a partnership with the bape it was called bape or bape Bape, yes 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 that was wild. That was that was actually. Terrible. I remember when Bape was a thing. It yeah. is so crazy to be reminded that I don't know who was talking about that on, on uh, our side of All Japan Twitter recently. I think it was I had a T-shirt. Yes. I had a shirt. 
think I bought it like from Japan. I was just like, this is <laughs> not like I was just like, this is cool. Kojima likes it. So I don't know. Yeah, that that's like where it was like it there was, I want to say it like outrage, like, oh, this is a disgrace to all Japan. But it was just like, what the hell are these guys doing? It's more like <laughs> that. Like, how are they gonna go? How are they gonna get past this? But like also like it, it's kind of like now it's like when AEW does like a you know Ninja Gaiden Yakuza Street Fight their whatever tie in they're doing like uh-huh. it was just like yeah we get it like you got to do what you got to do um, but also like the Kojima that like you just want to see win the Triple Crown it's just like Muta what are you messing around like yeah a lot of a lot of mixed stuff but interesting stuff weird stuff not to mention just 2002 i think was it like like 2000 was like the rebuilding just like we're just gonna do what we can do um 2001 then they start talking to muto then he starts creeping in oh two is where you get just like insanity you get like kojima the clear like this is the guy just like if it is if that wasn't clear from the some of the matches that we're going to talk about like this is just the dude but then also, like, in 2002, they have those shows where they bring in Goldberg for, for two shows in a row. And he beats Kojima in three minutes and Taioki in three minutes. They literally just squashed their, their, like, supposed next big hopes. So, yeah, it was it was just confusing. <laughs> Let's say, like, that was the grimness of it. It was just, like, some fun stuff. And then, like, oh, th- th- this is what it's going to be. <laughs> like, so, Yeah. I think today's um, Mudo criticism can often get a little bit like hysterical in a way that is uninteresting to me. But when I remember that that's what happened to uh, Kojima and uh, Taiokea, um, some, yeah, some sometimes the the criticism of Mudo might be um, fair. Actually, when you <laughs> when you think about it, there's some there's some patterns there. Yeah, so that's you, fascinating. You can read a lot if you want to read too much into it right it's like a lot of it reads as like power plays too where like he's trying to i mean geez yeah oh, this is these cards are so funny to read because um <laughs> even the, like the yeah the august cards like he still beat tayo key in the main event <laughs> of the first one and then had him lose i believe to goldberg yep on the next show in four minutes just a lot of weird just weird stuff going on however on the contrary in the mid card of one of those shows was a Kojima Nobutaka Araya match that was like this like thing that just makes you think can these guys just be wrestling for the triple crown like we could restore the glory like it, it's happening so yeah a lot of stuff a lot of things happening <laughs> yeah it seems like the the mid card and the undercard were probably defined by a fair amount of experimental sort of big brain Keiji Muto nonsense but then in the main event (laughs) you really did have like this um like you know you can't overstate that Kawada had finally his like big triple crown run in this period it's really important if you really want to get into Kawada and understand who he was as a wrestler but then also as a human being like you have to get into this run um with a triple crown post roster split which is where he really becomes um sort of the star that was going to be denied him um you know under under baba in that era of all japan um he needed to be away from misawa in order to 
to be that guy. So that part of it is all really fascinating. And then you get into, I don't want to say too much about Kojima because I feel like we're going to talk about him a lot because me and Jason ended up with him in both of our um, matches. So there's, but there's a lot to be said about building a guy like Kojima out of this um, completely chaotic era of Muto trying to poach guys (laughs) um, from uh, New Japan, um, including a failed attempt at poaching Tanahashi, which Tanahashi explains like in the most like, hysterical way possible i love him recounting that conversation between him and mudo it's really good we got um, this far without mentioning kendo kashin all right anyway. we, know, we don't need to mention kendo <laughs> kashin one sorry. of my one of my favorite um anecdotes about him is that like he has a win over uh kawada in a g1 uh during this early 2000s period which i Person. find to be like nightmare inducing but He's didn't he win the yeah the ROA junior over probably Brian Daniels I don't know more misinformation really? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he did win like there was a uh, he came over to Ring of Honor in two thousand four which was right after the Salt Japan run mm-hmm. and as Dragon Soldier beat and won oh, like right. a yeah. like a Ring of Honor J Cup and and people were like furious they were like who who is this guy. Why is this happening? And it was it was a, like a political thing. Like Ring of Honor was trying to work with all Japan and blah blah blah. And that's and, the guy they sent over. It's Kendo Kashin. Kendo, just he's been like, getting away with it for so long. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. For so that's the only long. way to explain he's it. Tra- that's the only way. Trainer with the WWE for a couple of years. Or yeah. Like, like, how? Just like what? I don't. I mean, Vibes. I, Anyway, good vibes. Good vibes. <laughs> He's um, a, a key I, part of this of this era that we are discussing. Lou, who did he hold over a balcony in somewhat recent memory on an All Japan show? Uh, well, he was part of these matches with. Uh, I think it, w- it was part of these All Asia Tag Belt matches with. Yeah. It was either Masao Inoue. Or Takao Mori, or one of yeah. these guys that that, uh, that are always in these matches. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always the same four or five guys. It's one of these. <laughs> um, that's like the last time that uh that I uh, appreciated him being around. Um, that was pretty funny. It is Whatever that was fitting scene for him. That's the only place where it works. <laughs> exactly. It, it was exactly. New Japan. They were trying to get a deal with, and so he went over. Uh, Matt Seidel, James Gibson, and Black Tiger to become wow. the best of American Super Junior in 2005. Holy shit. See, like, now I have, like, the urge to go buy all the, the DVDs and rip them because, like, that's just funny. That's just, just funny weird, to have. Just the weirdness that randomly ha- Yeah. Yeah, that's just funny. All right. Well, that's a good amount of lore, I think, from the weirdness that is a lot of these undercards. And that's also not to say that you should not watch this period of wrestling for all of these reasons like it's weird wrestling um but there's also a lot of greatness and a lot of people's careers are actually made um or have these really significant moments um in this period of wrestling despite the strangeness that is uh keiji muto's brain so with that being said um i'm going to have uh mr captain lou um start us off with introducing his match and lou um It'll probably be obvious, like, why you chose the match. But if you want to explicitly state why you chose this one, um, that would be cool, too. 
Yeah, so I went to it, uh, Kawada versus Masanobu Fuchi from uh, July 1st, 2000. Um, I picked this one because uh, if you've been reading my reviews or have heard me on Kickout, you know I'm a big fan of the Fuchi in his current version, but also in all of his versions. Um, and I mean, if you're only familiar with the man from his, uh, current matches in all Japan, where he just kind of shows up on the undercard as a nice old man who does open fists, closed fists, uh, comedy spots, um, then this, this could be an interesting match for you because it's, it's, it's got a different tone. I'm going to, that's what I'm going to say. It has a different tone and, um, it's a pretty brutal match, actually, uh, extremely one-sided. It's a basically Kawada slaughtering Fuchi for 20 minutes, uh, very violent. And, um, um, for me, there's a, there's a, there's a great vibe in the arena and everyone's sort of turning Fuchi into this great, like baby face underdog hero. And I mean, to Fuchi's credit, this, he sells amazingly, like everything that Kawada throws at him, he takes it full force. And then he puts on like an Oscar winning performance of like looking in awful pain. Um, it's also an interesting match because it's like a complete inversion of like these two guys dynamic in the early 90s when Fuchi was like a part of the uh, he was actually kind of uh, Jumbo Teruda's enforcer against the Super Generation Army uh, Rising Stars. And in those days, Fuchi was literally like a, a menace. He was brutal against the young guys. He beat the shit out of them. So in, in this weird way, it's like a revenge match for Kawada, who's now, he's now one of the last remaining guys. He's now the All Japan ace by default. And he takes it out on Fuchi and it's, it's beautiful. It is a, it's a beautiful violence, the kind of violence that a hairy wrestling fan would write poems about. Um, <laughs> uh, what else do I, <laughs> I just, oh yeah. I, I think I, my favorite part about the match is that uh, if you look up. Isn't that any kind of match? Uh, let's not get into that. Let's not <laughs> into that. Um, <laughs> the, the funniest part about the match for me is that if you look at Fuchi's uh, 2000, like every match he had up to that point, he was already like clearly winding down and he was just having comedy matches, six man tags with all the older guys that had like these similar like genius minds for wrestling, like guys like uh, the GOAT Mitsuo Momota and Rusher Kimura. Aruka Hagen, all these legendary old men. And then uh, the split happens and they're like, well, Fuchi, you're going to do a main event, 20 minutes with Kawada, good luck. And so that whole background for it just makes me laugh. It's just good stuff. Um, Kawada's really rootless. He just, he, he barely allows a one count throughout the entire match. Uh, I also thought that was pretty funny. And uh, 
I guess the silver lining to all of this is that there's a there's kind of a nice show of respect after the match, like a nice post-match handshake. And for the remaining part of the year, these guys would end up like a pretty much a regular tag team. They would make it in the uh, they would work the the real world tag league together. And more importantly, uh, they would go over to New Japan and do a bit of an invasion angle, which led to this really, uh, it was like the, the coolest match of the year on the internet at the time, uh, tag team match, Fuchi and Kawada in a 30-minute draw against Yuji Nagata and Takashi Izuka. Uh, people were freaking out about that match at the time, and it, it was deserved uh, deserved praise for a really cool match. So, yeah, if you want uh, one of the more interesting matches from the post-split All Japan, and I mean like right after the split, like that really early uh, section where Muto's not around and everything feels very uncertain, uh Check out this match. I think it's a great sort of highlight from that uh, from that year. Agreed, agreed, agreed. I I, I liked um, I mean, literally everything you said. Just agreed. Um, and the the other kind of the other like out of the match, like just yeah, like Fuji's performance. Like like I don't know. He kind of like like it started out like real kind of just like all right, we're the last two guys left. Let's just kind of, you know we're doing some horse play, and like there were a lot of moments where like yes, Kawada was ruthless, but I like that like they had a couple of moments early where like Fuji would do because Fuji's a dick too, so you know Fuji will throw a slap, and then they had like they let it breathe. They had this moment of just like Kawada's like really man, You're, like we're gonna do this, and like that I just I I love that stuff. Um, and then just went to, you know, proceed to beat the crap out of him. Fuchi, another moment that I liked in the match was he had one part where he'd get in the, he'd, right, Kawada barely gave him anything, but, like, there was one point where Fuchi did kick out at one, and Kawada was just like, really, dude? <laughs> and, like, and then another point where, like, Fuchi steps over him, like, just to be, like, he knocks him down and he steps over him, and, like, he has a, mo- like, moment like where he could like take over and he's just like wait i don't know what to do <laughs> like he's just like how did i even get here and just, just like beyond just the ass kicking there was just so much like just great like yeah just greatness from the fooch that you know made it just like right not like the most epic match but also yeah epic like just incredible just like real wrestling just like it went from like, I don't know, you know, the quirky thing I wrote, you know, like went from like, you know, hey, we're the last two guys left. Let's see what we got to like, they were like blaming each other for Masawa leaving. And they were just like, this is all your fault. <laughs> and it just got nasty. And then right at the end, they're just like, all right, <laughs> we're, we're good. And just a lot going on here. And yeah, it beyond the fact just classic Kawada violence against one of the more underrated but also like everyone I don't know everyone who knows knows Fuji is like amazing but like still like never never got the flowers so to speak um so yeah just awesome match and like just the perfect like here's what we got folks like (laughs) let's see let's see where we're going um they I mean they got it going there's a lot going on here. It could be a good tagline. 
for all Japan um, during this period. But um, Lou, like you set this up perfectly for what I think, like I didn't expect this match to be, it's sort of an emotional match and I don't think you expect it to be, right? But when you look at when it falls, it's in July of 2000. um, Noah is like, a month-ish away from having their first two shows. Um, So this is like right in the aftermath of that roster split. I believe their presser was in June. Um, So like like pro wrestling, Noah has been established. Um, So the roster has indeed split. Uh, So it's, it is, it is like, um, it is emotional in a lot of ways. Like you, like you said, you do get like that. It's such an inversion of their relationship when they were younger. Like these guys had, I think 25 singles matches a lot of which occurred when Kawada was younger and then Fuchi would torture the fucking shit out of these guys um, during those incredible uh, Saruta Goon uh, Super Generation Army tag matches in like the early 90s, right? So you do get that sense throughout this match of like, it's incredible to watch Kawada be so patient with every hold he puts um, the Fuchi through, right? It's like, it's such an interesting match when you call back to their origins together um, in that way. And like watching Kawada like hold a key lock for as long as possible. And then like listening to Fuchi sell through that and sell through like some of those kicks, like Fuchi selling in this is incredible. Like the way he screams and the way he reacts to everything is just totally masterful i feel like those are the details we probably don't talk about fuji enough with because we we really only talk about him now but he's kind of like this like sweet old man that comes around and then he fucks around with like masao in a way (laughs) in a tag match but like um we don't really see uh, or or rather we don't really talk about um much of his older work as much as we probably should on kick out but um that is uh just some stuff that i i noted from that but like i thought that those exchanges were just totally stellar um and yeah just like a surprisingly emotional match and i and i don't know um if you noted this lou when you were watching but this was actually their last singles match um even though kawada doesn't like officially leave all japan for a hot minute um this is like this is the start of a new era for all japan there's like um jason was even saying like there's so much uncertainty it's like here's where we stand the last two um, native wrestlers to this roster. It's just us and the Geiko Kujin who were loyal to um, Matoko Baba left right now. Um, But like, this is their final singles match before we never get a singles match between the two of them again, which feels kind of interesting to think about um, as they were looking down the barrel of this new strange all Japan. And we just don't know what's going to be happening from minute to minute. But um, yeah, I loved, I loved this. I thought this was really, really interesting. Um, yeah good match killer match to start us off a wonderful time capsule it was almost like yeah like fuchi like he did stuff of consequence but like not it was just like his last like you know last stand where you know kawada still clearly had a little bit left um and yeah the perfect just uncertain but beautiful wrestling match That's such a nice way to put it. Yeah. Uncertain yet beautiful wrestling match. That's what we get. I didn't even write that down prior. <laughs> it, I it's will. a vibes only podcast. So thank you it's, very much, Jason. It's only vibes. So 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 at some point in the next six months, somebody called Muto and said, let's talk. Um and this is Baba. Yeah. And that brings us, sorry, cut, cut, Alicia, to cut <laughs> off your uh, transition. But yeah, no. no, like the next, like, 01 was continued the uncertainty. It just continued the 
we're going to have these Kawada based kind of, you know, okay cards. Here comes some New Japan guys, Michinoku Pro guys, Kaintai Dojo, whoever wants to come over. Um, Muto wins the Triple Crown, which was like a big thing. Um, and that's when, that's kind of when I feel like that was my entry point almost, like Muto being the cool, like, guy with all the belts like that's right when i don't know i kind of started to lock in uh just with fandom not to say it was just him but like him and tenru had had a very hyped match june 2001 is this yeah right? well, well yeah before we get too deep into that i want to oh, two things sorry. blue did you have a thought did, did we skip over a thought you had no it's fine it's we're all good all good okay so there's that the other thing i don't remember offhand when does um, Matoko Baba call Tenru back? Because that's like a piece of this lore from this period that's actually interesting just to remind people. Um, Tenru walked out in the 90s. Like he has this incredible match with uh, Jumbo Saruta in 89, which sort of welcomes in the King's Road era or the King's Road style of All Japan Pro Wrestling. He walks out by, um, I think, 1990 um, and then goes on to form. Um, does he go on to form War or does he go somewhere else? SWS first. SWS first. So he leaves. And then like Baba's like, he will never come back to all Japan pro wrestling. Like we're done with Tenru. That's I'm like completely trunc- truncating a very fascinating period of time. Um, but Tenru is, is done with all Japan for that entire period. And then when Mrs. Baba knows that like, they're kind of in trouble, they, they need people. Um, she crosses the barrier and gives him a call and says, I need you to consider coming back to all Japan. And you can find on YouTube um, the show in which like the surprise entrance of Genichi or Tenru um, into, I believe, Korokin. Um, No one knows he's going to do this. The audience has no idea. And they announce him and he walks in and like the crowd is like in just complete, like they go fucking crazy for him. Cause like, how could you not, how could you not go crazy for that man in any building he walks into? Um, but that was like a huge deal at the time because Baba said, Baba San said he like he will never come back to All Japan because that whole the way he left was so fraught and he took people from the All Japan roster. And uh Giant Baba was fucking mad about that. So that's how you get um Matoko Baba calling him and bringing him back into the fold. And I just don't remember exactly when that happens, but I believe it's before she picks up the phone and calls Keiji Muto as well. Yeah, it's correct. Uh, and everybody, please forgive me for skipping to muto over freaking tenru who is the key <laughs> seriously like muto made the power play but none of this works without tenru and the war boys coming in and providing some much needed mid-card depth and a big star so i yeah it was it was like summer 2000 so like very soon after you know tenru was the next like the big like fuchi kawada was that you know the the tribute and then tenru kawada was the like all right let's you know, let's roll here. Um, and that was significant because Kawada had started out um, under um, Tenru. That was like his um, senpai, right? So you had um, all of that, exactly, you had all of that sort of lingering there that was like really good storyline between the two of them as well. Yep. Um, and he beat Kawada for the title later in, in the year for, yeah. <laughs> so he became the Tripagon champion, mm-hmm. won the vacant title. Which then our friend Muto won in that much hype match in June. Um, as all Japan continued to kind of be like, what are we, what are we doing? Um, yeah. 
So that's and your lore update. <laughs> yes, exactly. Always got to get the lore update. Just one final bit of lore, I guess. I, I just want to add that at the time on the internet in like in that 2001 era, like the buzz around Keiji Muto was unreal. Like he was yeah. the coolest wrestler in wrestling, period. Like he he could do no wrong. And the, his recently reinvented shining wizard stick for that one year it it was really something like it, it, he burned through it i guess really quickly and it, it became very formulaic and maybe tiresome but for one at least one year and a half it was really fucking cool like he like jason said he had the eight belts or something he was doing new japan all japan um Indie wrestlers everywhere started doing the Shining Wizard. It, it was it was a wild era for sure. It's yeah, it's what he had this like he was a superstar, but and then there was still that like that like era of like it's kind of like the Undertaker, where it was like, okay, cool guy, but like also like this guy doesn't sell. This guy, guy, you know, like there was still that vibe too, or like the, the the smart fans, you know, that they would know, you know, like ah, there's something you know going on with this guy, and he's shady, and he's gonna take over all Japan and make everyone wear bald caps, and yeah, give birth to a baby as Great Muda twenty years later, <laughs> um, questionable man, <laughs> to say the least, but. It's interesting because I think this was also like um, <laughs> um this is like a uh, a post WCW Muto yeah, as too. well. Right, so, right. so he has like a lot and of post, notoriety. Post knee operation, like he had nothing going yeah. on. His hips was... were fucked up too. Like by this point, his hips are fucked from the the moonsault. So so it was like right, he was like half like inspirational, like <laughs> like you know, the Undertaker. How how is this person like do he shouldn't be doing this? He's gonna, you know, break down, which he eventually does. Um, but yeah, like there, yeah. So, so he was a yeah, an enigma in two thousand one, um, and that's probably why Al Japan said we'll strap you up, <laughs> see what ha- see what happens. As per usual, they were just like, oh, see what's going on. And eventually, we d- we get to not only is Keiji Muto. Um, you know, part of like the the center of all Japan. He's a star in all Japan. Um, he becomes the president of all Japan because Matoko Baba yeah, is yum. on her way um out the door essentially, and she winds up um you know giving the company over to Muto, which is kind of fascinating because he very quickly makes a shitload of changes that um seems very not what she or perhaps even um giant baba would have wanted for the company and we know that she and uh misawa would clash about you know misawa's vision for um all japan so it is fascinating that in the end she went with uh keiji muto a complete outsider to uh the all japan system to uh sort of hand him the reins to the company but um that's the guy we get and then he ends up uh playing into all Japan's future for, for quite a long time. It, it takes a while for him to take his exit as president. In fact, well, when, when was all of that? Is that 2016? Yeah, I guess <laughs> I'm trying to think when wrestle one started was uh, like ter- 2013 or 14, something like that. Yeah. But either way. Yeah. 2012, <laughs> actually. 
2012-2013. There it is. Right, there, there it is. is. Yeah, because then you get like the whole burning, new burning era yeah. of uh, All Japan, which is really where I came into um, All Japan. So that's where I enter. But Muto, I mean, he said, made the power play. He becomes the president, but he also, he brings some talent with him. Not, not just Kendo Kashin, but his old friend, I can't, I don't think he was in New Japan, but his friend from WCW, Kaz Hayashi, who, who mm-hmm. comes to all Japan to be, at the time, it was going to be like, and kind of was like their junior ace. Yeah. And then he brings freaking Satoshi Kojima, which is like kind of the big mm-hmm. coup, the big jump, the young star at least. And so they all come over in like January, uh, right? You know, when contract renewal season comes over. And so, yeah. And we, Kaz was also doing a lot of the booking. Like Kaz had a role to too, play. Right. Um, All Japan, I wouldn't say, was especially known for its junior wrestling necessarily. But Kaz Hayashi oh. um, kind of puts them into a position where they actually have um, like a junior wrestling division. Um, so right. Kaz Hayashi is really important to that era. Like I would say quite integral. But very. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he would... Arguably, right, a reason why a lot of the mid-card was, like, so interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. The junior division was really just, like, yeah, traditionally just Fuchi beating people up, <laughs> with the, with some exceptions. like Ogawa, yeah. like, that's your oh, junior right. guys, which is really interesting to think of, like, how people like Marafuji and Kenta would have fared if they all right. stayed, right? Like, what would that have looked like, and what would they have potentially created if they stayed, but like, it's also weird to think about them having been in all Japan to begin with, because like, that wasn't a place known for its like junior wrestling. And Mara Fuji wanted to like, he wanted to be a mass wrestler. He wanted to like, he, his, his inspirations were around Lucha Libre. So it's interesting to think about that in the context of all Japan, because that's not really the vibe. Um, even at like the time he entered the dojo, which would have been 98. Yeah. They wouldn't have fared well because Muto brought in, earthquake and road warrior animal by december <laughs> like right like that's just you can look up any like just random card from these years and you're just like what's going what on the fuck yeah <laughs> i actually i i was i don't know if he was successful but like he did try and like he, he there was a focus i guess i can't i i don't have many memorable junior heavyweight yeah I think it took a while for him to get something interesting together because in those years, the the All Japan Junior roster outside of him, you had he was bringing in guys like the Amazing Red and um, Super Dragon at a run, yes. and just a really right. weird More cast randomness. of guys. Jim, Jimmy Yang, his buddy from WCW, uh, it was pretty weird, but he really it really sort of found its stride in like 2000 i don't know between 2006 and 2009 i guess where he, you had guys like kenny omega and minoru tanaka shuji kondo and you know kaz hayashi like trading uh, title matches that that was for me like the the peak era under kaz but it took a while to get there for sure Kendo Kashin was the junior champ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Jimmy Yang, um, didn't he just show up on One Night Dream? Am I thinking of the, the right person? He, yeah, he, he was recently on a, a Noah card for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was on that July One Night Dream card of all cards. Fascinating. Muto, you know, he, he does for his friends. He does for his friends. Um, He's a good friend. <laughs> that, that's true. Um, 
Anyway, so this is a very long way to get to Jason's match, which I am excited to talk about as well. So Jason, if you want to tell us why this one in particular and then get into it, we'd love to hear it. So the, the, this this match I'm a fan of, a big fan of actually, um, but I'm going to intro it as it's almost an excuse to talk about several other matches. <laughs> um, but th- So this card, February 24th, 2002, I believe it was All Japan's return to Sumo Hall, the Budokan. Budokan. Budokan, Thank yeah. You, so, like, it, it was a big deal. And I this was one of the first, like, kind of, I don't know, uh, not like New Japan or, like, weird, like, 90s deathmatch wrestling, like, tapes that I got. Where I sat down and I was like, I'm going to watch a show. And, like, if you look at this card... This card, in my opinion, is like the ideal all Japan weirdness card because it's just such it. it I, I mean, I'm personally biased because it's my entry point into so much. The match, by the way, that I'm going to talk about isn't even the main event. It's the semi main event um, between Tenru, who had returned um, and was dominating, except he wasn't the Triple Crown champ against Satoshi Kojima who was just coming into the territory as, you know, the up-and-coming potential ace. But also on this card, we got all kinds of shit going on. <laughs> so I, I, I'm looking at the card, but it starts off with another guy that I didn't even mention as one of the un- unheralded heroes, um, uh, Nobukazu uh, Harai from another yes. war guy, who yes. I think worked in all Japan, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty for a he, while he like, worked for a while and was almost murdered by <laughs> the actual voodoo murders uh, in a super uh notorious backstage incident here we go uh, yes. really well so uh detailed in in jonathan dr jonathan's book if you want yeah. if you want to in the interview we did with him so listen to that episode too <laughs> so 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 be- before all this he was he was a fresh-faced young lion mm-hmm. and like th- this like this show like 224, they have this blue backdrop with giant Baba. Just it's this very like simple, no frills. It's a ramp. There's a ramp. I don't know. I'm just we should bring that back, to be honest, for all shows. Yes. Like I'm just as obsessed how just simple it all is, but it's also like all bright. Uh, Simple things, folks. Um, and then Harai and um Ryuji Hijikata, who was another personal favorite of mine, they have this very basic, like young lion opener, but like Hijikata is wearing the karate pants. I think Harai kind of had long pants. And so, at that point, I was like, oh, all openers are just like these young lion, just black tights, whatever. This one had a little character to it. So I'm just like, okay, cool. Next match, we've got this weird triple threat between Kai and Tai Dojo guys and Grand Naniwa. I'm not, I say weird just because it was kind of like comedy, but like it was charming. Got a very early look at High 69, who's still just crushing it. And, and completely different, like, looks completely different, everything. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, Naniwa, who I'd known from, you know, the Michinoku Pro tapes I had seen, you know, shocking it up. So RIP to him. Then you have this weird thing. They bring in Masato Tanaka as another random guy to kind of flesh out cards, along with Hideki Husaka. I blank on who he was from. If it was Big Japan, uh, some FMW, I think FMW. Thank you. Yep, yeah, that, yeah. Yes. Thank you, Tanaka. That makes sense. Thank you, Luke. Um, they're wrestling these random just sheet guys. 
double iron sheiks who just it's just this stupid gimmick but also it's just like what the hell's going on here then we get into oh here's dr dusty williams totally washed up mike rotundo more than washed up like <laughs> what's he doing here but apparently then you know that's you know i look up oh they were act- well dr death was like this you know killer in all japan so they're looking crappy but they're beating these two young guys okamura and hanma who went on who are still active okamura in mexico hanma new japan like incredibly successful at the time they were great young hopes another all japan's young lion miyamoto in the next match gets squashed by new but guy kendo kashin in three minutes which was a classic like wrestling like outrage moment (laughs) but also just like what's going on here then you have the questionable um you know americans barton Steele, heinz from they were originally well barton Steele had just had the new japan real world tag league run they're in a six man against these war guys who are the most like just basic you know doughy heavy dudes and i get introduced to yoji anjo arashi nobutaka araya and that starts a torrid love affair with those guys. <laughs> Not Anjo, but, you know, Arashi and Araya for, for years. And then getting back to Ki Nagai, I swear this is almost over. That's a great, like, just, like, young... Not, not, but not, it's not a great match, but they gave them 17 minutes. It's an ambitious match. It's just, like, we're going... It's like when AEW used to just be like, we're going with this. Just here you go. <laughs> we're just going to try it. We don't care what this does. Uh, Nagai was exciting. He, not so much, but, you know, he was there. The, the main event of the show is Kawada finally triumphing and beating Muto, beating evil Muto for the title. Um, and then, unfortunately, he gets injured. There's a tournament. Tenru wins the title. It's a whole thing. Long way of saying, the semi-main event is where I'm at because this was a one- Great entry point for, well, many great entry points for ten, Tenru. But, like, as far as, like, old man, grumpy, like, still potential to be a star, still being positioned as a star, the walkouts of this match are so amazing. Like, so much of star power. Just, like, th- that's the kind of thing. There was this uncertainty. And then with this show, you see this just, like, they the fans wanted this. To, everyone just wanted this to succeed. You can just feel that in, like, the reactions. Maybe not for, like... Mike Rotundo doing an airplane spin, but like for like Ted for Kojima just triumphantly walking out, freaking bleach blonde, just looking like a freaking star. Just who is this guy? And then Tenryu comes out just like walking tall, just like I'm still the man. Like, and they have this great match that like Kojima, and this is the match I chose, Tenryu Kojima. They also have an even arguably more heralded match later in the summer uh, for the Triple Crown when Tenru eventually wins it. But this match is special to me because it was just like that moment in time, even more so than Kawada Muto, because you have Kojima as this young, like, new hero. Tenru as just this incredibly respected vet still, you know, looking to dominate. And here you go, the special, like, moment. And they go, it's under 20 minutes like, but they just had this amazing dramatic match that gets across everything they needed to. Spoiler alert: Tenru wins, but it like doesn't matter. Kind of like matters a little bit. I, I remember being a little like what, but like kind of makes sense after a while. Um, but it's just like a great match that just gets across like 
what I mean, it gets across the point, which is always the hardest thing that wrestling can do. But like Tenru is still trying to go for it. He takes a freaking DDT off the apron. He's still like try, you know, I think he does a tope. I can't remember Kojima does a tope, but like they go hard. Uh there's not like a ton of near falls, but there's just enough. And it's just this great, like another kind of like Kawada Fuchi, like here's where we're going next. Tenru still got it. Kojima is next one up, but not there yet. Let's see what happens. And not to mention, it's just a great freaking match. Just all the stuff you need. And it's under 18 minutes. It's how did they do it? Um, so yeah, big fan of this match, big fan of this card. Just the, this is where like the weirdness kind of locked in. And it was like, all right, I could like watch this, like and actually kind of follow this for a little bit, um, despite some of the other weirdness going on. So yeah, that's that's my thoughts on this wonderful match. What do you got? What do you guys think? Uh, it's pretty crazy to think that this was Kojima's first match under contract. Like they just gave him Tenru right off the bat. I think that said a lot about what they wanted to do with him. Um, and they worked the match in a way that made you feel like they were going to use Tenryu as sort of a wall figure for Kojima to overcome gradually. And uh, I, I think they could have done more with them because when you look up at their history together, they had these two matches in 2002. And that was it. They they never really solved their their, their resolved their story together, which is crazy because Tenru came back in two thousand and four. He did like a bunch of uh, tag team matches uh, uh, with Kensuke Sasaki and whatnot. And it's just it, it's weird that we never got that story like to its full conclusion. But uh, nevertheless, this felt like a great opening chapter. Um, I can't believe how Kojima, how young he looked in that match. Like it was really weird just seeing that again. And um, yeah, this is like a, it's like early, early um, Kojima hadn't even fully, I think, figured out his whole thing. Like he's, he hadn't learned the um, Stan Hansen style Western Lariat yet. He's just doing the the, the normal, normal Lariat. Uh, he doesn't even have his uh, machine gun chops or a lot of his classic signature moves that we know of him today. Like he's doing a Michinoku driver at some point, which I, I never even remembered him doing that. Um, but he, Kojima has always been like a good baby face wrestler. So the part tag guy, that's yeah. all know, Tenkoji, like that was it. So like, this was just like, holy sh- what? I mean, I, that's kind of what I remember. Like the, but like it was like oh this guy can be a thing he he yeah. did so well they tried really hard to make Tenzin work too just just because well, fun, Sorry fun but like yeah that that was like that's what I remember like he hadn't done much he was a, mm-hmm. people knew he was good but he was a good tag wrestler yeah. and then here he just comes out like I'm taking over <laughs> like let's go um that's what I loved about this match funny thing about Tenkoji is that Tenru spends a lot of time in this match doing Tenzan moves to Kojima. He does. <laughs> and there's, there's they, they have, they had a bit of history uh, together in New Japan where uh, actually Tenru teamed up with Shiro Koshinaka, Mr. Hip Attack, in the 1999 
against Tenkoji. So they had a bit of a background together. And uh, you could tell that Tenryu, Tenryu loved doing these like Mongolian chops and Tenzan moves to Koji. Like, he was enjoying himself so much. That was really cool to watch. Um, but yeah, like Jason mentioned, like the July match between these guys is sort of their all-time classic. But this for a first a first singles match or the opening chapter of a bigger thing, it works really, really well. And uh, it holds up in a big way. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's like, um, it's it's hard to not really love like a match Tenru is in, you know? So like going into it, I thought that I was going to um, really like it for that alone. And I was interested um, because obviously like this is match has Kojima in it. I wound up going with a match that has Kojima in it. And anyone that's listened to me talk about Kojima on um, particularly Talking Triple Crown, I've been like sort of mean about him for the past like couple of months just because he's always around. Um, But that being said, I was really interested to like watch these matches sort of removed from him because he's actually not been around now, uh, knock on wood, for uh, a couple of weeks. So it's good just to be out of that space. And I was interested to find out if like, um, I don't know, like I think that people can maybe overly talk up their feelings around Kojima because it might be the popular thing to do to like really put on like rose tinted glasses or something with like this period of his career like I don't know that's just my general feeling about it but I was interested to see if I would come away like really feeling something from him um during this era which is a really interesting era of his career obviously um but I thought he was fucking phenomenal in this it was it was crazy to see him like 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 Lou said, he looks really young, which is so crazy because I think he's looked the same now for as long as I've been watching wrestling. Um, this guy's nuts. <laughs> yeah, like he's looked the same since 2014, which is to say he's always looked older to me, right? Like not old, but older. Um, but he looks so young here. And like he should consider Bleach Blonde again because like that actually looks really fucking cool on him. He looked great. Um so that was trippy. And like Lou mentioned too, it was really weird to see him with the absence of all the moves I associate with him. Um, so to remember that those moves don't like happen for him here, that was really interesting. But like, I wasn't like missing them necessarily. It was interesting to watch him work as how he was in this era in the absence of those signature moves. You you nailed it because here's the thing, Kojima, I mean, like we, we, we've, we're all saying like, this is a great opening chapter. He doesn't, it was still reminding myself, it was astounding. Like, he doesn't actually win. You know, we say this is all, like, great entry entries. He doesn't actually win the Triple Crown title for another, like, three years. And by that time, yeah, he had kind of, like, become, I, he just wasn't as good, I'll say. Like, here, he's just as, is fired up. He, he's basing the match around the Lariat. He hadn't even done the whole angle where, he, yeah, learns the Stan Hansen Lariat. Um, but, like, Right, it, it just did such a good match, and like so, like it's you watch this, and 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 even the next match too. Um, we watch all the, and it's like, yeah, that this is this should be the guy. It just didn't happen until business was even more down. Not many people were watching, and yeah, but exactly that's why I love this so much because you watch this and you're just like. Right, this is the guy. Like, here's right. Like, it totally he... makes sense why he right. jumped, and like, it probably. I think it gets sort of overlooked how people talk about wrestlers jumping companies as if it's like an inevitable 
Um, and usually this is because people try to say like the people that are in companies like All Japan or NOAA or like a Dragon Gate or maybe a BJW, like they're going to be always looking for the big leagues, right? So they're going to be going to a New Japan or maybe to an AEW. But I don't think people realize just how rare, especially in this period, it was for wrestlers in Japan to jump um rosters because of the loyalty that these guys have to their dojo systems and the people who taught them um so it was a big deal with i think kojima walking out and going into all japan you're taking you're betting on yourself at that point so i think yeah like this this works inherently because if it's like his first like real match under contract and you're going up against genichiro tenru like this kind of has to work and you kind of have to look good and and you know coming out against someone like that and it fucking works so well. Like um, Tenru is a violent, vicious man, right? Like up until he retires. And that's why he's so fucking great. But what Kojima is wonderful about and like portraying in this, um, like he just takes like this veteran or like legends total onslaught um, and keeps coming forward. And like the crowd eats this up and like really gets behind him in a very organic way. And like, they are like eating up every near fall. You can like hear like how like, like the crowd gets so loud um, behind these near falls. Like it's so exciting um, to watch in that way. The, I mean, Tenru, like Tenru kicking people's ass is one of the most fun things in the world. I mean, it doesn't need much more, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Kojima brought the energy to that. I mean, yeah, the crowd was so excited to do, to channel on with the elbow spot and the crowd. Like there was just this like, yeah, they, they don't, they, it's not wrestling at like that anymore. <laughs> like it's just like there was such, <laughs> yeah, like new guy in the territory, like just all this stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. But the, just side note, speaking of Tenryu being violent, first spite this was the first spider German suplex I had ever seen. Oh and it yeah, was another one of those things that made me think I need to watch every Japanese wrestling match like ever. Just cause, what is this? Like mm-hmm. it was just the coolest thing ever. And it, I mean, you look back now and it's. I mean, Tenru doing it is so like just like slow and just like he's so lazy about it, but still like it's impressive. But like but the first time I saw it, it was just like holy, yeah, like mm-hmm. and that was that was this match. Yeah. So yeah. I will say like watching um these matches, like it's I used to spend a lot more time watching wrestling and watching new wrestling, right? Like I used to spend a lot of time enmeshed in particularly different eras of all Japan um, and watching through different eras of Noah and just like kind of watching around because I think you kind of have to always constantly be watching wrestling in order to expand your knowledge of it. But um, just this year has been sort of like a, a nothing but a backslide for me in terms of how much wrestling I'm able to watch um, at all, even just like currently airing, let alone like going back in time. But that's what, like it was really exciting to put <laughs> there's too too much wrestling whatever but like also like just down wrestling life and is. shit um but it was really nice to put these matches on and feel like that excitement to be like fuck i just need to go and put on every single tenru match that like i can get my hands on i thought um, the same i i right I, I went back and watched uh well this next match we'll get to, but I I watched a a classic Hashimoto match. Like, yeah, you you get lost in current wrestling and like just watching. So, especially we're talking about right. We watch these whole shows. It's you're gonna get lost a little, but like right, cherry picking some of these ones. Like especially yeah, this era. If you haven't seen yeah, All Japan two thousand two to two thousand four or five, when like you know, 
Jamal, love Jamal, but you know, Jamal started showing up and it's just, I don't know. It it just, you know, veered somewhere else. Um, They're amazing. And yeah, watching in a vacuum, right. I was just flipping out watching. Yeah. All three of these. So, yeah. Yeah. Just to sum up some of my thoughts here at the end, like it's, it's really just like, there was, there were so many great spots, like Jason alluded to before, like the chop forearm exchange was fucking crazy again, because Kojima just kept coming forward. And like, if you look at his face, like in his facial expressions, like that, like he looked incredible. Like it, I really, it made me want to appreciate more perhaps those nuances that he probably even still brings to his matches that perhaps I've never, um, fully appreciated from him but like the way that he uses like his facial expressions in this match again like just surviving the total onslaught of tenor like that is the um that is everything that is fighting spirit right like and that's what he is bringing into this match and that's why it fucking works even if it's not um the one that people i think point to more in terms of like the one that you're gonna watch if you're gonna watch tenru and kojima that's why this works so it is such a fighting spirit match um so yeah it just was fucking crazy and every like brain buster from tenru was just like jesus fucking christ this shit is awesome so yeah oh yeah (laughs) just kills them like ah it's killer right to the end and it really it's not just tenru like i can't like understate enough or state enough um, that this is like both, like it's both of them that make this match so yeah. great. No, I, I, as as we can say, as bleak, quote unquote, bleak as this era could have been and kind of was occasionally. Like, right, you have Tenru and Kojima, not Tenru, but <laughs> Tenru on a great run. Kojima and arguably the best run of his career. You see, Kojima now is like the bread guy, but like Kojima, <laughs> this you know, oh two to like oh five, like guy was just ready to go like, like he still like and yes i actually that was one of my takeaways alicia like like just a you know side message to lou i was like kojima like let's just be honest like, like he's he had his peaks and valleys but like 30 years of just like consistency and just like mm-hmm. always kind of get you know just gets his role i mean he's still you know was a part of an aew pay-per-view this year and then and then you see him here in you know his element arguably like ready to be like the next big guy which if you know it was handled properly he he literally would have been <laughs> but they waited a little bit too long anyway um yeah no, like you're, freaking rules. <laughs> you're right like i think that um as much as i like to like make little comments about him um there's probably not that many people who could have stepped into his position i think when did he show up in noah like maybe it's has it been like there's time is a flat circle i have no idea when anything has happened anymore but maybe it's been two years since he about two years ago yeah Yeah. right he right he returns to noah yeah yeah so he returns to noah then he shows up in um all japan as well and he like he recently won royal road and like um you know many of us were like white knuckling the royal road experience of, of kojima but at the same time um i don't know that there's that many people of his era that could have probably ignited such interest and excitement around someone like him getting his flowers this late in, in um, his career. Um, and, you know, people like responded to him, people respond to him no matter where he pops up. And that probably says a lot about him. Yeah. Like Jason said, he's one of the more, I guess, reliable uh, guys of his generation. He still moves like even today, he moves really well. Like if you, I mean, 
the Yuji Nagata All Japan run, uh, it pains me to say it turned out better than I expected, match quality wise. But when you look at Kojima side by side, he just looks in better shape. He looks healthier and works smoother, I guess. Uh, and it's crazy because he's been going hard for a long time. Like, uh, he's even had like his US independent sort of run. Like, he had his ROH matches, he had a a MLW like world title run or something. Yeah, that was random. <laughs> oh yeah, we <laughs> make sure like, you pirate those matches. Fuck Court Bauer. That, that, seriously, like that delayed like his triple crown run. I totally forgot about that. He was like in a sorry <laughs> bad flashback. I I can't even. I don't even remember. I don't remember what happened exactly, but I guess the the whole point of this is you are correct in saying that they waited too long to pull the trigger on him. That I, at the time on the the uh, infamous message boards, that was the vibe. Like everyone was pretty much down with Kojima as the next ace, but they they took too long. Then he went to MLW, <laughs> and I think that's like the story of you know that dark era of. Perez, unfortunately, like a lot of people walk away, unfortunately, with that story of the trigger was not pulled to know. Like we talked about this a lot, Jason, when you were on for um, Destiny, like how many missed opportunities there were with an entire generation of guys. And um, yeah. you can still feel the effects of what happened when, um, you know, decisions are not made um, at the appropriate times. So that yeah. being said, Kojima's doing okay. He gets called in by Tony Khan sometimes to do some work. So he's going to survive. Yeah. He's he's fine. Yes. Yeah. Any any well any uh, other thoughts here on uh, Mister Tenru and uh, Kojima? On on just another another promotion for Tenru and the War Guys, or Ar- Arashi and uh, and Araya and and, and Harai just brought brought the mid card consistency for for that that whole time. And Tenru, yeah, in this era was just so cool. Had so many classics, but not clap, but like must see, just like. Mm-hmm. He was one of the guys that was musty from from this era. Like he was, he was on one for for a little bit. You you just can't go wrong with a with a ten room match, no matter what era. No. That being said, I'm going to get into the match that I chose. Jason, do you have any um, lore for the people listening to connect us from your match to and and Lou I, as well? Do anyone have any lore to connect us from where Jason ends to where I begin? Just going back to the classic, like triple crown, um, and uh, this does the, the the triple crown history of of not putting Kojima over because they went to who are who's a guy that can draw who who can people yep. they went to Muto they went they, they went to Tenru so I, I'm I'm trying to remember the the exact order but eventually Shinya Hashimoto takes like Kojima mm-hmm. goes from this February pay per view Kawada wins the title for Muto triumphs. It's this great all Japan's back gets injured a few months later. And so they have to have a tournament. Tenryu wins the title. And I can't remember if Hashimoto beats Tenryu. I believe it's Hashimoto who beats okay. Tenryu. That, that, 
that would make sense, although I don't remember. No, no, I'm it's such a liar. It, it's great. It's great. Muda. It's the great Muda. That's, that's the freaking connection. That's, it, the, the, that's the lore. That's the thread. Muta just kind of like messes. Oh, how could we have gotten that wrong? And the answer right? was right there. It's of course right? it's just, great Muda. Yeah. Just just pops in there and says, "Let me just do this." And he's the bridge between. So he takes down Tenru because, yeah. of course, and then that sounds right. Then Hashimoto beats him. I think. Um, Hashimoto and Kawada eventually had a classic in 2004, maybe? Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Is it 2004? Okay, so before this... It's, it's in Hashimoto. Kawada's big run, like his proper run, because Hashimoto, I believe, drops... No. Where where am I going with this? I, this is I, obviously not I, my strong suit. I think I, I have to double-check this, but I think that Kawada gets his big run by beating Hashimoto. Yes, because Hashimoto, I'm going to skip ahead here. What the match I'm about to talk about is Shinya Hashimoto versus Toshi Kojima. He, Hashimoto is triple crown champion because we've just decided that he did beat the great Muda for it. Um, in ah. this run, though, it's very short-lived because Hashimoto injures his knee there in this go. match with Kojima. So he has to give up the belt. Um, and then something happens <laughs> and eventually Kawada does take the belt from um, Hashimoto to, I think to kick off that big um, reign of Kawada's it, if it's I'm remembering correctly. That's what the story again of, is just like these disappointing. So Hashimoto loses Kawada wins a tournament that I'm, I'm remembering now, like he beats o- Otani in the finals. It was a very like <laughs> on paper, well-booked tournament, but like the most like, Oh my god, this is what we're doing. And that was the kickoff for Kawada's reign, which is like the most like lukewarm kind of, you know, love Otani, but it was kind of just a lukewarm kickoff to that. And then that Kawada reign is finally ended by Kojima, like two years later. Mm-hmm. And just nobody's happy about anything. Like just like no, nobody's yeah. like perfectly peaked. But long way of saying Tenru eventually, when Kawada wins that title in February, finally wins it in February 2002. Tenru beats him, or it's vacated. Tenru wins a tournament in April of 2002. Muta beats Tenru in October of 2002. And then Hashimoto in February of 20, uh, uh, 2003 beats Kojima. Or, I'm sorry, doesn't beat Kojima. He <laughs> beats the Muta and vanquishes Muta. And then a few months later, we have our match. So that's right. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll say too, for people who might not know, and granted, this is not um, wrestling history that I'm even like always super well versed in, but Hashimoto at this point, he's not working for New Japan. He's moved on to his own company, which is Zero One. So that's where he is um, when his friend um, Muto calls him in to start working um, all Japan. And I'll say off the top that... Um, Part of the criticism of, like, at the time at least, of Hashimoto in um, All Japan is that the All Japan hardcores, I think, uh, at this point, were a little bit exhausted (laughs) by uh, Muto for all the reasons that we've already stated. But also, uh, you have a figure like uh, Shinya Hashimoto now um, having arrived in All Japan and holding the Triple Crown. This is where I think a lot of people start to complain that it just feels like there's so much of New Japan now within all Japan and even I would say to this day in terms of like fan culture um 
culture is really important to all Japan fans. Um, like very, very important. And their culture being distinct to um what would be New Japan fan culture and then also uh Noah fan uh culture. So that being said, my question for the both of you having been around and kind of cognizant of all of this wrestling, um, do you think that the wrestling at this time was more reflective of like a true mix of that sort of like what we would consider a new Japan style, or is it more that people are reacting to the name here of Shinya Hashimoto and him still being very much associated with new Japan pro wrestling? The latter, I I would say the latter. And, and this is just like my recollections of, and you know, I, I, I always do think back, you know, when, when I'm reflecting on this, I still, you know, was a teenager who knows, who knows how, how, if my reflections, how, if they were right. But at this point, like I saw it more as Hashimoto still like credibility, like zero one was still like seen as like a good company. And so him coming in was just like, well, one, it was just like, okay, here's someone that can draw. But the main thing was like, here's a guy that still can work. And he, I mean, he proved it. He proved it with the, he very quickly proved it with this match, with the events of the Kawada match. Like he could still go. So, like, it, so, I, and I mean, full disclosure, at that point, I was, you know, taking on whatever, you know, I, I was almost a Noah loyalist. So, like, I was just like, whatever happens in all Japan, that's just that, that's their deal. But like, I was just like, hoping, you know, all Japan, you do what you got to do to stay afloat. That was basically it. Um, so, but also, yes, I see that. And I, I definitely, um, heard that, felt that th- this is taking over, but I, I would, I would say Hashimoto, it wasn't so much a style thing because arguably like Kojima, like Hashimoto, Tenru, that like top line, obviously Kawada, it wasn't like King King's Road, King's Road, but like they were keeping that like credibility of like, we do good big style main events and they didn't feel like new japan main events at all they felt like they did feel distinct they it wasn't you know masawa kabashi but it, it there was something to that but yes of course hashimoto and muto are in the same company <laughs> and they're preventing i mean kojima came along with them was a new japan guy but like he isn't rising kawada is kind of just like hanging around um so yeah random recollections of of that of that time i do remember that and this really doesn't have anything to do with new japan versus all japan or anything but i remember that the vibe on the internet at the time was that online fans seemed uh generally happy uh, about the hashimoto run because 2003 hashimoto was seen as a as a more interesting worker than 2003 Keiji Muto, like by, by, by a mile for sure. And he delivered on his run, like this match and the Kawada match, the, the Arashi match, I guess, which is not available in full online, sadly. But um, uh, the other thing I remember was that this was like the peak, I think of the zero one all Japan relationship. Like at the same time as we got that uh, Ashimoto run, we got stuff like Satoshi Kojima in the Fire Festival of that same year, which was really, really fucking cool. Like he worked like Masato Tanaka, uh, which was a big like dream match at the time. So that's what I remember the most, like the positive reception to Ashimoto and 
re- just personally really enjoying that all Japan zero one partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my dumb young brain, but also was like zero one was very top heavy, but like had a good roster. And I remember, mm-hmm. I mean, and they did definitely intermingle, but like it was kind of just like Tanaka, Otani, Hashimoto. Sato, Sai, you know, those kind of like, just bring them to all Japan. Let's, you know, let's party. <laughs> let's get, get all together. Um, never quite worked out that way. But yeah, I don't, and of course, yeah, Hashimoto was like the antithesis of like the Muto, like yeah. sports entertainment. Like Hash, big Hash comes in, he's, he's here to wrestle. <laughs> he's here to kick people really hard and, and do his thing. And, and, and yeah, this, this match was freaking another, kojima like and i'll to give a proper intro but like again kojima being freaking amazing against and just proving like hashimoto could go so god bless him like i i I didn't necessarily want like muto versus kojima at this point in time that wasn't super enticing um but yeah this one was just yeah a welcome a welcome match and I'll say too for like why I wound up choosing this one. Um, I was the last person of the people on this call to choose a match, um, despite this being my podcast. And um, I tried to cheat too and like stretch the the parameters of this episode. Um, and then kind of went back and tried to figure out what else to do. And you guys both chose people that I was going to initially choose, but you guys got there before me. I was going to do Kawada and then I was going to do Tenro and then you guys got there quicker. But nobody chose Muto. Sorry, just want to call this out. No one chose a Muto. No, I can't do a Muto match right now. But but that being said, um, I realized I can do a Shinya Hashimoto match. And um, I was excited to do this because, um, like I was telling you both before the call, um, I just have a huge, like, three musketeers gap in my my wrestling watching and it's because i didn't really spend um a lot of time kind of working through um the different eras of new japan once i really got into noah um in all japan so i was excited to um to watch this for him alone but then also like really testing um how i was going to feel about toshi kojima but um this was what I, I watched our matches like, you know, one after the other. I watched them in reverse order. So this was first. So I was feeling pretty good about him even going into Jason's match. So there you go. But um, again, this was from June 13, 2003. Hashimoto is Triple Crown uh, champion. And this is in uh, Nagoya Aichi. Uh, it's an Aichi Perfectional Gymnasium, actually, if um, people listening are uh, caring about that right now. So anyway. Um, with this match in particular, um, a lot of this, like what I had highlighted from both of them was their facial expressions. And like, I don't know a lot of like how Hashimoto uh, works other than what I've seen of him in passing. Um, but I thought his facial expressions um, when he was like slapping Kojima around and like laying into him with those like big, like open palmed strikes was like pretty fucking incredible. Like it's like, I'm I'm not trying to be like dramatic when I describe this, but like it really felt to me and I haven't felt this way about some watching someone in a long time, but you get the sense that he has an aura um, pretty much right away. And I haven't felt that way about what, like watching a wrestler in a really, really, really long time. Um, it just, he felt like he had like a very palpable aura. That's the only way I can describe like what it was like to watch Hashimoto um, work a match like that. He does. I, I'm smiling over here because I, I can write two sentences that I wrote. In, in my little kind of, you know, jotted down recaps. 
They begin with the most intense lockup you've ever seen in your life. Mm -hmm. And then a second later, they stand up with the most intense stare down you've ever seen in your life. Like, yeah, like totally. Like it's like Hashimoto has kind of always had that. He really does. Like, that's just, that's his thing. That's why he's one of the best. And it, it was like, Kojima was like, I can do this too. And, and that's what made the match like so cool. But yeah, like just from the bell, like everything was just so intense, like mm-hmm. how they were looking at each other, but also, yeah, like just laying in everything t- totally. So mm-hmm. yeah, just, it was an aura match, but also like, just like the most like, you know, it had all the, all the stuff, all the other good stuff. <laughs> exactly. I think like there was this one part that like really exemplifies what we're saying in that, um Hashimoto has like these incredible like just gross looking knees in the corner that were like fucking awesome and then Kojima walks out of the corner with like this very calm like look of determination on his face it's not like he's no selling the experience of these of the knees he's not doing that it's again the fighting spirit actually like at work right like um I think that's what maybe people don't understand about the fighting spirit like like what that actually means it's not like it's not like he's no selling in this moment. Like it's about overcoming like these moments of like incredible pain um, in order to, uh, you know, to just keep pushing through um, the match. Like you really get that in that moment, like just both of them, like, again, like that intensity, like the entire time it was incredible. Um, The crowd was incredibly into Kojima. So I think really exemplifies also what we've been chatting about, which is that unfortunately this man was incredibly over and they were not going to give this belt to him (laughs) at this time. So that's unfortunate for um, Kojima. But again, like those open palmed, like slap exchanges this entire time, like that just seemed to be getting like more violent as the match went on was incredible. Um, the fucking air that Hashimoto could take with his um, drop kicks, even like uh, this is like uh, he, this is later into his career, mm-hmm. and it's actually in the later part of his life. I don't remember which year he passes away, but we're not too far, unfortunately, from that point where he tragically dies at forty years old. Um, but the air he could get on some of those like drop kicks was fucking crazy and then their exchange of drop kicks was also just such an incredible um exhilarating part of this match and like the crowd is feeling every moment of um those exchanges um Hashimoto's also insane for taking that plancha from Kojima but like Kojima's really cool in this era for like some sick looking planchas and some sick looking suicide yeah. dives well yeah that's Nuts. Hashimoto's fighting spirit just right the willingness to just like do this sloppy looking but like you know gorgeous you know drop kick <laughs> that's just gonna knock a guy down um yeah uh, another thing that like we talk about like right like fighting spirit and like kojima right like like just i don't know everything is just more like subtle, subtle but like more purposeful like kojima like has that moment to get out of the corner and like they let it breathe where he right he does get to have that look or even you know Hashimoto he's not like you know with all due respect to my favorite thing in the world leg work the 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 what every match needs <laughs> selling a leg but like <laughs> like Hashimoto was just like randomly just freaking just kneeing the shit out of his gut and then he'd just like move on but like he'd always go back to just like wrecking his ribs and like you you knew like Kojima just through the whole match is just like wheezing and like but still like trying to be strong and it just I don't know. It, 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 they kept up that 
or which is very challenging to do <laughs> like they kept up this aura of intensity while like reminding you right all, all this stuff that that's supposed to be going on like kojima being the young guy and hash being this like vet who like knows how to win um yeah didn't and hashimoto had a shining wizard too which is wild <laughs> <laughs> it, was Ko, it was Kojima. Kojima does the Shining Wizard. Is it Kojima? Okay, thank you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. One of them was gonna have it, right? There we go. You We're know all what? there because of because Hashimoto's of hitting it sounded like the most. I was like, did that? Re- I feel like I would have put more exclamation points for that one. So like, <laughs> <laughs> but exactly, like it's just it, it was like they just had such a match. Like like there was so much like subtext to it, but like also just like right, everything's purposeful, like stiff, like just they had the near falls. I don't think I, I I had, this was the one match of these three that I had not seen before. And I was, yeah, came away like angry with myself for not seeing it. So. Yeah. I mean, I felt the same way. It kind of felt like I um like had, have wasted some time uh, not watching matches like this and like not especially watching um, Hashimoto. Um, me and Rachel like have like tried to guess multiple times, like, like well who of the three musketeers like are are going to be the people that we end up gravitating toward and i think like rachel will end up being a chono guy for sure um that seems up their alley but um i always assumed it would be hashimoto because from whatever um from anything i've ever seen of him um i think he's probably a judoka he he does a lot of incredible throws and like that always looks really clean um he clearly like knows like he's got great mat work. Like even in this match, um, he does an incredible throw on Kojima to bring him to the mat and then goes right into an arm breaker. And that looked fucking sick. Um, Like it's amazing how for like, he's a bigger guy and he moves with such incredible grace, um, which is outstanding. Like I really was blown away by um, his style in general. Like there's clearly like such a respect to different martial arts in his um, approach to professional wrestling, but he moves with such incredible grace, um, which is just, it was stunning to me. Not to my, you know, it just, just hit me. I mean, these Kojima came up in the new Japan system that he was a active young lion Yeah. while Hashimoto was having like his big run. So like, it kind of was like a reunion of like similar like styles. And I, I felt like, like what you're saying, like Hashimoto, like his, his mat work, like, Kojima was almost like working, like trying to prove, like he was trying to prove a point, like, you know, you know, I'm all grown up and like, just a lot of great subtext in this match. Um, I also wrote like, there, I don't think there was one guardrail spot um, out on the outside, which was shocking to me, just because of how many we have. These yes, I, I, I don't know how they got away with it. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was just such a straightforward match. Like they were beating the shit out of each other and they were t- telling stories it's, it's just a match and like to your point jason about like the connection between these two because of new japan um i believe it's in jonathan's book where kojima's comment later on in life about hashimoto is that he was like a legendary wrestler and he respected him like an elder brother so like I, even then i'm sure like that connection was there um so yeah like you absolutely get that subtext right like throughout the match like this is another legend another person um that kojima has to kind of withstand the onslaught of and look good in doing so because um even if you're going to lose to someone like a hashimoto same as tenru um losing to these guys can be just as important as beating them sometimes um 
So absolutely. I think that comes across here. Like, and I, and as much as I'm, I'm talking up Hashimoto, cause I was really blown away um, by him. Uh, like there are, there are so many great Kojima moments in this too. And again, it's that it's him surviving the onslaught and being believable in surviving the onslaught of this man. Like it can't be understated that that is what he's doing here. Um, and like the finish of this is fucking crazy. Like Hashimoto um, oh, God, yeah. punches him. And then I think he punches goes into him. a, like he literally just punches him, which is <laughs> just incredible. Like it works beautifully. Then you like Hashimoto has incredible kicks. I've seen him do incredible spin kicks, like low kicks. Like he has such an incredible array of, of kicks in his arsenal, but he gets him into, like he kicks him and then he puts him up for the finisher. But Kojima is like fighting him um, until the pin. Like, it's just a fantastic match. And, you know, I'm someone who um, I enjoy my wrestling of any era. Like I, I enjoy my wrestling that's currently airing. It's very different. I think I can enjoy wrestling the way I can because um, I'm so interested in storyline and character and I go out of my way to be invested in those things. So I really, my enjoyment of things is different, I think, than maybe other people's. But when you're watching matches like this, it's like, this is just pure um professional wrestling in a way that is so like um it really makes you like appreciate and 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 fall back in love with it which is what i think i really um was my what i walked away with was that was that like man like professional wrestling is sometimes really fucking good and like this is a match that i think underscores that yeah 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 um he 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 punched he went for a lariat and he punched his arm yeah just what a perfect perfect. i I don't know like like everyone is kind of like copying everyone but like and you know modern wrestling complaints you know a lot of just like big moves stuff like that but like this was like not everyone can like get away with you know trading lariats and like you know just intense stare downs but like when it works like that and like this was a moment in like you know such a moment in time where like this company you know was struggling yet you watch this and you're just like how were that how were they worried like this is the coolest shit you know ever um so yeah i wrote that actually i was like it's crazy people try to breeze past this era when the wrestling felt like this match but then it's like it's this match like we know that there's other other things but like how could we not be constantly talking about matches like this because it's not just this one match like there's other matches too right but like it's so wild that um some of these matches have been largely looked over because people don't find it important enough to go back and watch um what i would largely consider like a forgotten era of all japan which you can technically stretch out even from the roster split through um i would even say like akiyama leaving um all japan um in 2018 i think is when or no am i getting that wrong will when did he finally leave a bit later 2020 something like that yeah yeah like like 2020 before covid or just around just yeah. in that maybe but i feel like um i feel like there's like a, a real forgotten period of this company where um yeah like there's a lot of hardcores who have been around and who have kind of watched especially like in the, the akiyama era um of all japan like watch that kind of company come into what it is now um but there's still a lot of people who will talk really poorly about this era but i get the suspicion that I don't think a lot of people have even bothered to watch the matches to talk poorly about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You, you look at like those first shows, like after the the year after 
Like it's bleak stuff. There, there's nothing except like that Kawada Fuchi match. And you know, like literally, that's probably it. <laughs> and like Tenru's return. Yeah. And it, yeah, it is, but but like right, they eventually do find their way. And right, like especially like these three matches, like this is the through line, like Tenru, Hashimoto, even Muto, you know, you know, whatever he was doing, like there was some good stuff going on, like they were trying stuff <laughs> for better for better or worse. Um, I would love to revisit it at some point next year. The uh, those weird August shows where like it feels like th- those just destroyed all the hope that, <laughs> that was going to be associated with like like the the rebuild, and then and then they called Hashimoto, and you know who knows what else happened. But we have to do um, all the weirder shows, and then we also <laughs> probably just have to keep going backwards. Like they'll probably have to give the people a King's Road episode. We'll have to get into the eighties. That's yeah, what we're gonna yeah, have to yeah. do. All oh, the yeah. way back. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. See, I'm just what, gonna... see, what, see what Muto destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. he, that, he it, it is just like it it really is in, like interesting. And I keep going back to that just to see like the weird stuff that they did try. They they didn't have like plans for like the Dragon Gate guys, but they did bring them in for the undercard. And that you know, they were just like, just go out there and do your thing. Like it, it's you know. So it's interesting to see such a big like uh, you know god horrible term but like, like brand name like all japan like react you know react to what just happened like they could have just closed up shop <laughs> like they had nothing but they were just like yeah we'll we'll figure this out and they struggled for a while but like also right you get like i mean magic like this and and, and the kojima renaissance <laughs> that's somehow somehow has happened um yes very very interesting time before i mean things kind of took a downturn for japanese wrestling too but like uh, it just again interesting and some occasional amazing wrestling i think you guys covered it <laughs> I mean, I, um yeah i'm just uh, I, I guess pun intended i'm just gonna re-ash what was said here about this well, 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 well done. um but yeah no i i love this for me this was uh like if you, if you want to talk about late era ashimoto it's this match the kawada match and like that one match he had in zero one with masato tanaka which was freaking amazing it's those three matches uh that hold up the most from his like late uh era and yeah in terms of just just to go back what you guys to what you guys said about the Ashimoto aura, uh, it's it's second to none, really. Like um, there was such a big like in the like late 80s with the three musketeers, like the idea was to find the three guys that would take over from Enoki, Shoshu, and Fujinami. And like Ashimoto is so clearly like the Enoki guy from the three musketeers in terms of his like presence. And it's so funny because him and Inoki, uh, it it ended up being the reason why he left New Japan, of course. But yeah, he has that Inoki-style presence where it doesn't feel like a wrestling match. It feels like he wants to fight someone. And that really comes true in that one. And yeah, I guess the, the one thing that keeps popping for me in these two Kojima matches. And maybe that's why Alicia at the later, like this recent Kojima All Japan run, maybe it wasn't working as well for you is that for me, Kojima is like the, the perfect baby face who fights from underneath. 
And mm-hmm. now, now that he's old and he's a veteran, he has to do sort of the the opposite. And he's more natural when he, you know he's like the the guy taking on the older guys. And that match is like a perfect example of that. Really great stuff. I think that's correct. Uh, you know, I was gonna have a weird year with Kojima watching him and Sugira go over Maruken in the Budokan, right? Like, cause that feels really weird when you say that out loud, right? So yeah, I think that is probably a big part of it because this works, this era of Kojima really works for me. And I feel like if I watched through more of his bigger um, matches from this era, I would probably come up with a lot of the same feelings and walk away being like, that's the Kojima I'm into. But uh, the current code, like the bread club shit, like that that was never going to go over with me. So yeah. It it's interesting. It's it's really interesting to see like his 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 match style, right? Like the bread plot, right? That that's his quirky, like let me try and get over with the American audience kind of deal. But like when he works matches, I'm I still I swear the match against Punk at Forbidden Door, his little kickoff match in AEW, he's still using the same style that he like. It's all based around the freaking lariat and like timing and like. Uh, to me, it's still impressive. Like he obviously doesn't have like the energy, and the hair needs to be blonde. I, like we just that's that's the takeaway. But like it, it's right. It's it's uh, that's the takeaway. That this era gets you prime Kojima. But like if you want to see him be his actualized self, that didn't actually become his actualized self. <laughs> like that 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 this is it. Because right, I mean these two matches, him versus Hashimoto, um, and versus Tenru. The one versus Tenor in July. Yeah. Great freaking stuff. Um, and let me and, ask you this question just to kind of get away from um, Kojima for a minute, but I don't, I don't want to forget. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> not that we, you know, we could probably do a whole episode on Kojima too, but maybe we'll bookmark that. But I asked this question, I think, to Dr. Jonathan on, um, I can't remember if I asked him in the Ganbaru episode or the, the Muto Years episode, but... I'm just curious what you guys think the legacy of the post roster era is, and just maybe even the Muto era of all Japan in general, because when I think about the way someone like a Kento Miyahara, the current ace of all Japan and how he speaks, he does not like throw back to this era. Even, you know, he came up like a, really his moment was, was post Muto, right? He's a, he's like an Akiyama project more or less. Um, based on the timing of when he was officially signed and came into the the promotion, he speaks about wanting to be synonymous with the promotion in the way that Baba still is, right? So he always uses these callbacks to Baba and Baba's records and then uses the tagline um, of All Japan, which was like a Baba tagline to talk about how he views his All Japan as well. So that's where he is tying things in for himself. Um does does all Japan today ignore this period? Do we try not to think about this period or talk about this period? Do we see a lot of this period in today's all Japan? What are our thoughts on that? I think they have been starting to slightly go back to it in like the last year, like really recently, like when they started bringing back like guys like Kazayashi. Uh, like it feels like they've been having more matches that are a throwback, like a, like a voluntary throwback to this era, but only like very recently. Like it took a while to get there. For a while, I think they were just 
straight up ignoring it. And just recently, they've been like winking back to it with these like uh, Kazayashi matches. And I can't remember who else they brought back, but they did a few matches that are clearly like tributes to the era. But uh, it, it took a while to get there. And in terms of like the online fandom, I think, as you said earlier, it's like a lost it's like a lost era completely. Like even the, the like the, the I guess, if the, we, we're going to call the current era, the Akiyama era, I guess, uh, that in terms of online discussion, that really took over the conversation. And I, I, I think rightfully so. It's a lot more interesting in a lot of ways. Um, and I guess to circle back to Kento, Kento, it's funny with, to me because Kento is, is he's a full-on like Akiyama era guy. But there's a lot about his mannerisms that are clearly, I think he's a Keiji Muto fan in a lot of ways. Like he does the English cursing. He does a lot of Muto style, like showmanship. He does the knee strikes. Um, it's but, funny though, because he, um, not to interrupt you, but he, yeah. um, I would not be surprised. But when he mm-hmm. talks about his influences in wrestling, he nev- almost never cites yeah. um, Japanese wrestling stars. He talks about, Hulk Hogan that's his biggest yeah. influence on his wrestling and his mannerisms and he talks about Hulk Hogan um I wish people could see Jason's face when I said that and <laughs> he talks about um <laughs> he talks about Randy Savage but like that's because he spent a lot of time going to the local video store where he grew up and he was he was getting um American tapes he was watching a lot of Wrestlemania uh which is really interesting do I think that he has purposefully curbed some of his lore Yes, he ha- he did talk about going to All Japan shows growing up with his family. So do I believe that he absolutely saw this era of All Japan being a young fan? A hundred percent. So yes, it wouldn't surprise me if he was also a fan of Keiji Muto. But yeah, outside of that, um, I think it is fair to call it a bit of a lost era for sure, at least in terms of online discussion and sort of the impact that it had. Like I was, it was cool to see Dr. Jonathan bring it back with his books and sort of spotlight some of the, the good aspects of that era. Um, but yeah, Jason, what do you think? I I was going to co-sign. I mean, yes, I fun curiosity for sure, but I think generally, and I, I did not have the, 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 the context of uh, Kento being such a Hogan fan, <laughs> but like that, like, right. I, I think over time, right. It's something I, excited about and love talking about but like uh, arguably like that this era kind of just launched into other things whether it was kojima going back to new japan or just okamura going to mexico kaintai dojo dragon gate like everything just like hustle wrestle one everything just splintered off it into something else so it, it is just like a time capsule of like you know japanese wrestling kind of kind of coming together at the time but definitely like right now right i feel like what i see from afar i i'm I'm not like actively following all japan right now but it definitely seems like more once kento took over once you know i once you know i heard about akiyama then kento becomes the ace i feel like that's just a totally different company not to say they're they're attributing masawa kawada per se but I feel like it would be more than that than, right, there's not much, you know, they're not looking back to the the war mid-card matches or the George Hines, uh, you know, what's special. Um, 
yeah so i generally yes I, I think this is like forgotten but also like the quality matches still stand out kawada hashimoto i think is a known classic um but maybe yeah i don't know how, how this kojima run i really don't have enough context for for how it's kind of looked at but like yeah it, it it's more of just a curiosity than something i'd say you know go seek all of this out other than the few matches that that we've talked about interesting interesting thoughts no i think i'm i'm probably in agreement with both of you um i think a lot of this too and i've said this on a couple different episodes recently but some of this just boils down to access i mean like watching two of these matches on daily motion that was the most evil experience um like it's just it's so awful um but that's where a lot of these matches have um unfortunately ended up and i think that that's like a big part of it too is that you have like we tried to do um we tried to do one of the like the big pay-per-view that kind of kicked this era off for muto and then realized that we couldn't get the entire thing in one file right so we had to kind of pivot to this idea for the rest of the episode so access is definitely um an issue for the iwc um if you will um, I think that the the Kojima matches are looked at a lot more fondly now, but I think like you kind of alluded to Jason, it's because he's in his, his Renaissance uh, period and people I think are just, they want to be very high on Kojima, um, which I think is fine. But I think that always, it's interesting when those comments, I think skew that positive because I think people really want someone to be their guy and less because they're looking at like something critically, if that makes sense. Um but yeah, I think that there's a lot to, as we've, I think, demonstrated through these matches, there's still a lot to watch and get into, if, especially if you're trying to close gaps in your All Japan knowledge, because ultimately this all informs uh, the history of that uh, incredibly crazy company, I guess, right? With with, with Noah, there, there was a, at least a clear game plan. You know, we got an ace, we, we got we got stables this i oh okay fair i see i see your reaction <laughs> well well they, well they gave up on the game plan immediately but the, the first, the, okay correction the, the first year there was like a mission statement at least all japan is watching what it's like without a mission statement just like you know, our, the mission statement was hey we're going to tribute baba with n- nothing that baba built besides like kawada Fuji, and the ring and that's very interesting um to watch play out uh you know it's not like they were bar- they were borrowing you know fmw guys in the late 90s but you're still seeing just like a company try to rebuild it looked very bleak and they're still capable of these you know pretty epic epic matches 100 percent. let's go out on uh on that note thank you both for uh joining me in this i so appreciate the both of you um, not just for this episode, but all, everything that you've contributed um, throughout the year for a lot of these episodes. Thank you both um, very much. Uh, I'll ask you guys to just let the people know uh, where they can find you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, Captain Lou Japan, and you can read my reviews on happywrestlingland.com. Uh, thanks so much, Alicia, for having us. It's always a blast. Same same place, happywrestlingland.com, also twitter.com slash 1053ridge. And yes, thank you very much for, for having me, having us anytime. Thank you, guys. And um, for those of you 
listening. If you haven't done so already, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on your preferred um, podcast platform of choice. Um, It really does help us out, helps us get through the algorithm and more people can find kick out that way. So uh, I thank you in advance if you haven't done so already. Um, I'm going to be back in a couple weeks now in December uh, with the Talking Triple Crown crew. There's going to be some people on to do some end of the year stuff and we've got to recap all of those tournaments that are taking place right now. And then Rachel and I will be back at the end of December um, for a bit of an end of year episode, but also I am Noah three. So um, look out for those in December. Thank you guys.